glad you're with us. I'm excited about what's coming. We are five weeks away from being in our new place, but at the same time, I don't want the next five weeks to just be something that doesn't matter. And if we've been diving into, uh, into our newest series, the crazy thing is, I say it's our newest series, but we're in it for five weeks now. We started when school kicked off, and if you can believe it, we're already five weeks into our school year. And as you look at that, kids are like, yay, and parents and teachers are like, eh. And uh, so I, I hope that you guys are excited, but we started off, and we started off with, with talking about owning the vision. We're talking about owning the vision and moving in the direction of, of seeing what God has for us and, and pursuing after that. And we, we started with owning the vision first by defining what a vision is. And as we define what a vision is, we actually said this. This was the definition we gave it. It is hope with a blueprint. Hope with a blueprint. Hoping of where we're going to get to with a blueprint to get there. And we use the illustration basically this way. That if you wanted to lose weight and you wanted to get stronger and you wanted to go to a gym, that is the vision that is out there. But the blueprint to get there says you have to start eating better. You can't stop at first on the way to the gym. These are things that you have to do as you make that. You have that vision. You have that desire. That's where you're heading. Same thing with getting out of debt. Let's say that's your vision. You want to get out of debt? Well, you have to take the steps necessary to get to that place. And that really fills up our entire life. However we want to do it, we are going to end up somewhere. One of the things we said on that first week is, you're going to end up somewhere. It might as well be on purpose. And how are we going to get there on purpose? Well, we see that vision and we say the steps and we follow that blueprint on how to get there. And I looked at that and that goes for our entire lives. God has a vision for your life, and God has a vision for my life. And there's different blueprints that are going to get there, but here is what it is. Here is that vision. He wants you to grow closer to Him, plain and simple. The whole reason for you existing, for me existing, is to glorify God and in the process grow closer to Him. We want to take those steps. We want to change from our mindset that this is all about us to this is all about Him. And that's, that's a big switch. Every morning we wake up and we battle those thoughts. Is this going to be about me or is this going to be about him? And he wants to transform our minds. He wants to transform our hearts to where it's all about him. Everything we do, we honor and we glorify him. We want to take and embody the, 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 the writings that Paul wrote to both the church at Colossae and also the church at Corinth. He, he wrote these things as he challenged them and challenged us. He said this in, in Colossians 3, 16 and 17. He said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. He wants us to shift from doing it for ourselves to doing it for him. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. That is what we need to embody. But guess what? It's not going to happen overnight. You didn't meet Jesus one day, and boom, everything happened and changed. It is a growth process. It's a process that's going to take us into steps and move this way. As a matter of fact, our vision, it's funny, we've been talking about vision, and I've had some people say, well, what is our vision? Our vision as a church is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Whether that is somebody who is far from God and needs to move closer, or somebody who's close to him but still needs to move closer because none of us have reached perfection yet. Our goal is to move people from where they are closer to God. Lead them in a growing relationship. 
with Jesus Christ. And as we see that, we see our whole hope is to know Christ and to make Him known. Because as we are leading people, they're going to lead other people. We want to know Christ and make Him known. And that leads us to to week number two that we talked about. And that was why. Because when I say this is what we should do, we should want to grow people. We should want to grow ourselves. Our natural response is, my natural response is, is why? I'm fine where I am. Why would I want to change? Why would I want to grow? Why would I want to know Christ and make Him known? Why? And hopefully, as you see that vision, as you see where God has taken you, He has created something inside of your heart that you are dissatisfied with. Something inside that is creating an ache to say, I need to be a part of change. I need to do something that isn't just me waking up in the morning, existing for a day, going to bed, and then doing it all over again tomorrow. Because I've had those days. And they stink. They're the days that, that you, you, you just feel like you've wasted. We don't want to waste our days, and hopefully God has put that in you. And I said, vision gives us a passion. It gives us a purpose, and it gives us a direction of where we want to go and why we want to do it. Go back to the gym. Go back to debt. It gives us a reason to make it through, even when things don't seem to be going the way we want them to go. As a matter of fact, we asked this question during that second week. I said, what do I need to do to become the person I want to be and accomplish the things that God has laid on my heart? What do I want to do to be the person that God wants me to be and do the things that he's laid on my heart? What is it that needs to take place? That's where the passion comes in. That's where the purpose comes in. That's where the direction comes in. It's a blueprint for our hope. And so that led us into uh, communion and being the church. And we took that week off of, of talking about vision and really just kind of living out that vision, which led us to last week, our, our, our fourth week. And as, as we are in that fourth week, we began to, to look at things that will get in the way of vision. And one of the things that get in the way of vision is fear. Fear, the what ifs. Well, what if I, I take that step and somebody doesn't like it? What if I take that step and it changes this? What if I have to? What if, what if, what if? And we ask those what ifs in our life and it holds us back. What if the thing that we're going after is just too big for me to take on? And we talked about David versus Goliath last week. And as we talked about David and Goliath, we took it from a different perspective. It was more than just some boy trying to muster up enough courage to take on a giant. It was about a boy who was passionate for the glory of God and confident in the power of who Jesus is, that he will prevail. And I will come alongside of God, and nobody's going to defy that. That was the whole problem with Goliath in the first place, is he was defying the living God. And David was the one, because all the Israelite armies were standing there asking the what-ifs, that he stepped up and he did it. And as we look at that, we see that idea as we closed up last week to pray for the passion for the glory of God. And not just pray for the passion of glory of God, but to believe that he has the power and he has the drive and he has the ability to take us to where we need to go, to get past our fear, to have faith over that fear. And that leads us to today. Today, we'll be in Mark chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can open to Mark chapter 4. But as we're in Mark chapter 4, I'm going to give you just kind of a little brief overview. It starts off with Jesus teaching on a beach. Sounds nice, doesn't it? Teaching on a beach. I'm not a big beach fan. I'm not going to lie to you, okay? The beach, when you go, even when you're laying there doing nothing, it wears you out. And by the end of the day, you're just toast. At least I am. I'm toast literally and figuratively. And uh, uh, so, so I end up at the, at the beach, and, and Jesus is there teaching on the beach, and crowds are starting to gather, and he's teaching these parables, and as he's 
teaching the parables that we went through after Easter this year. He's teaching them, and all these people started to gather around, so much so that it got crowded, and he had to go out on a boat. So while he was on the boat, he was speaking, and his voice is bouncing off the waves and carrying. It's an amazing little little deal that Jesus happened to know about because he created it. And, uh, and he, he's out there, and he's teaching on this beach. Well, the evening comes. The evening comes, and I can't imagine, because I get to teach three times in a weekend. And, man, by Sunday afternoon, I'm whooped. So not only is he at the beach all day, but he's also been teaching all day. So those two things have probably drained him. He finally says, well, we pick up in Mark chapter 4, verse 35. It says this, on that day when the evening had come, he said to them, Jesus, let us go across to the other side. And this is the other side of the, the Sea of Galilee. It says, and leaving the crowd, he took with them, uh, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. Some, tr- some translations say the boat was getting swamped. But he was in the stern, Jesus, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him, and they said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind, and said to it, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? My guess is, if you've grown up in Sunday school at any point in time, you've heard this story. You've had a chance to hear what it has to say. I want to pray, as we dive into this, that God will give you fresh eyes and fresh ears to see the story in a different way. To see it differently in what you're going through now, that maybe what you've been taught has got you to this point, but maybe what God has to say to you now can take you to that next step. So let's pray for that right now. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you how it can apply to us in so many different ways. That we can read a passage a thousand times, and each time we read it, it can apply to us differently. And I pray today is no different. I pray that today you speak, and that you guide us, and that you direct us, and you tell us what you want to hear. I pray it in your name. Amen. So here's a setting. Like I said, Jesus has been teaching all day, and he's tired. Just like any one of us would be tired, he's tired. He says, hey, we're going to go across to the other side. And this other side is the Sea of Galilee. It's actually a lake. It's a freshwater lake, but it's about eight miles wide, 12 miles long. It's, it's a big lake. Nothing like New Mexico's ever seen. It'd be like an ocean here, okay? And so they're, they're going to go across it. And he says, let's load up in the boat, and here we go. And I'm not sure what he wanted to do. Uh, I'm sure he knew what he wanted to do. The disciples probably figured, hey, we're just going to get away. We're going to get away from the crowds. We're going to give him a chance to rest. We're going to get out there. Maybe they're thinking it's a little ocean cruise. It's a little break from, from teaching. And so they get out there, and not long after they get out there, a huge storm rises up. A couple things we need to understand about the storm. I've never been to the Sea of Galilee. Look forward to it someday. But uh, at this point in time, I haven't been there. But I've read lots about it. And how these storms that just kind of blow up and, and explode over the, come off the mountains and do all kinds of crazy stuff aren't unusual. They're, they're typical. So it wasn't like this was completely unexpected. But this was a big one. And as it's a big one, the waves started getting huge, and the wind started blowing, all this crazy stuff's going on. And you have to remember, the boat they're in is a fishing boat, more or less. And when they fished back then, the boats had lower sides on it, because that's how you threw the nets over and brought them back in. So they, they were out there on this boat, and the waves started swamping the boat. And they started filling up the boat. And the whole time, the disciples, who normally are in control on a boat, because many of them are fishermen to begin with, they're in control on a boat. They are in pure panic. They are terrified. 
They are, are, are fear beyond their normal fear. And maybe some point in time in your life you've been there where you come face to face with a fear that you have no control over. Because they probably thought when they got in the boat, they've got control. But all of a sudden they realized just how small they were. Because this water is coming in, the waves are huge, all the things that they thought they had, they no longer have control. And maybe you've been in that place in your life before too, where you thought you had control and you lost it. All control is gone. And when all control is gone, you have no place else to do but do what? Cry out to Jesus, right? Well, thankfully for them, he's in the boat. And so what they do is in this midst of panic, they react the exact same way that you and I would react. They gently get together and they say, who's going to be the one that wakes up Jesus? And in that process, they they draw straws or they cast lots or they do whatever they're going to do and they go over to Jesus and they rub him on the shoulder and say, Jesus, Jesus, hey, I know you've been having a long day and you've been teaching, you've been doing all that kind of stuff like that, but there's a little bit of a problem. We've got some waves out here and... um, we're not sure what to do. Uh, would you mind, when you get a chance, can, can you wake up and uh, come and take care of this for us? I'm not exactly sure what you're going to do, but, you know, can, can you do something? Because that's what we do, right, when we get into a panic situation and we're terrified and we're calling out to Jesus, right? No, it, it's exactly what they did. That's what we do. Where are you, God? Why aren't you in the middle of this situation doing what I've told you to do? Because I'm the one in control here, Right? Ever been there? And they're freaking out. And they finally get Jesus awake. And while they're in the middle of this freak out and Jesus wakes up, they probably are expecting him to do something. And I'm not exactly sure what they were expecting him to do because they were in awe when he actually calmed the storm down. So that wasn't what they were expecting. But maybe they were expecting, maybe they were expecting Jesus to be like, hey, it's going to be all right. Give him a little pat on the back. I, I, I don't know. But what he does do is he stands up doesn't say anything to them, turns to the wind, and he rebukes the wind. He rebukes the wind. That word rebukes the wind, when it says that, the words that Mark is using is the same thing that Jesus uses when he rebukes demons that are inside. And it's an interesting thing anyway, because one of the things that I've read about about the, the Jewish culture is that they didn't like the deep waters. They felt the deep waters were where the demons existed. That, that, was, that was where they lived. And so that's the place where they were at, and they didn't want to deal with that. They didn't want to be a part of that. And so when all of this terror was going on, and he rebukes the wind and then calms the storm, and he says, peace be still, their minds are like, whoa, what just happened? What just happened? Because he did something unbelievable. He just took the wind and controlled nature. He just took the sea and controlled the sea the same way that he's done it before with demons in people's bodies when he's casting them out and throwing them out. Now, as we look at that, we have to understand something here because even in the middle of that, they're yelling at him going, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care that we're perishing? And when I look at that and I think about that, Why did Jesus come to earth to begin with? In John 3.16, pretty famous verse. Maybe you've heard it before. But it says that, that for God so loved the world that he sent his only son to save us and keep us from perishing. And their question is, do you not care that we are perishing? My answer to him or what he would have to say is, yeah, 
that's why I'm here. I do care. But sometimes in the middle of a storm, we get twisted and we forget about that. And we also forget who Jesus is. Because not only did he merely quiet the storm and say, peace be still. We have to remember only one other entity has ever done that. Because I've had, uh, I wouldn't call it a, a the privilege, I'd say I'd had the opportunity to sit in on an exorcism before. And it was weird, weird stuff. Very real, but very weird. And in the process of that, I saw a man cast out a demon. A man who was holy and righteous, and and he was in a place where he was able to do so. But you know what I've never seen a man do? Control nature. We just saw that the last two weeks. Man unable to control nature. But this man stood up and controlled nature. You know what that screams very loudly? He's God. He is God. And that is where it is at. And as he does it, he turns to his disciples and he says to the disciples this very thing. Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with fear. And that filled with fear is a whole new fear. As a matter of fact, it says they feared a great fear. And, and, and that fear switched from being afraid of, of, of the storm to wow and wow when they looked at Jesus. To the point where all they could say at the end was, who then is this? Who is this? I'm afraid and fascinated at the same time. Who is this? And the crazy thing is, how much had the disciples seen up to this point? I mean, when you really stop and think about it, had they not been with him when he changed water into wine? Had they not been with him when they cast out demons? Had they not been with him when he created miracles? Had they not been with him when he did all of these things and all of a sudden they're like, who is this? This storm changed even their perspective. And as they say that word, some things that are very obvious lessons from this story come to my mind. And I wrote these obvious lessons down just to share them with you, but I'm going to be very honest with you. I'm not going to focus on these obvious lessons because I want to focus on the not-so-obvious lessons. But before we get to the not-so, let's talk about the obvious ones. The first thing is this. The storms will come into the lives of the followers of Jesus, even terrifying ones. These are big storms. You know, the crazy thing about this storm is, is that why did it happen? Did it happen because the disciples were being disobedient? We have this weird belief in our life that as long as I am good, then God will bless me. But if I am bad, he's going to punish me. We have this weird thinking in that. Did the disciples do anything wrong? They were following Jesus. He got on the boat. They said, he said, let's go across this lake. And they said, okay, we're going to do it. They were following Jesus. They hadn't done anything wrong. Like I said, we have this weird thinking that if we do something wrong, then God's going to punish us. But if we do it right, we're going to be okay. My guess is that some of you today are putting that into practice right now. The reason why I say that is because football's today. And you want your team to win. And so what you're going to do is you're going to do what is right so God will bless you by giving your team victory. Okay? And as long as you do enough right and the other team's people do enough things wrong, you will win. It's, it's a proven fact, okay? I, I've lived it out myself. But we live that way often with God. 
saying, as long as I do this, then it's going to be okay. But this story proves otherwise. See, we can bring our own mess, and that can cause our own stuff. We understand that. The New Testament talks about that. But this, the case isn't that. It is merely a follower of Jesus going through a big, terrifying storm. That's obvious lesson number one. Obvious lesson number two is this. These storms, these storms, they can knock us off our stability. We are heading in a path. We have a vision to get to the other side, right? Isn't that the goal of all of this? There's a vision over there. And all of a sudden, their vision is no longer on the other side, and it's on the storms all around. And things start getting rocky, and they start losing their stability, and all they can do is cry out to Jesus. Next thing I put is, they cry out to Jesus because Jesus is with us in the storms. Jesus is with us in the storms. We might think that he's asleep, and in this case, he actually was asleep, but he was with them in the storm. He was walking with them through that. And, and when they said, don't you care that we are perishing, they're actually yelling at him. Have you ever yelled at God, asking him where he's at? The cool thing is, is did he love them any less afterwards? No. Did he love them any less because they doubted? No. He was with them through it all. And he still loves us in our doubt. You know the other thing I thought was very interesting? It's an obvious lesson here. Jesus is asleep. I mean, I've been tired in my life where you can pretty much sleep through anything. But I don't think I could sleep through a storm where waves are splashing and hitting me in the face. I just don't think I could sleep through that. How does he sleep so well? Because he's not worried about it. Storms don't worry Jesus. And I got to thinking about that. Jesus is God, right? Everybody say yes? Yes, he is. Jesus is God, and so Jesus is God, and God is sovereign, and God knows everything. Did he know that storm was coming? Absolutely. He got into that boat knowing that storm was coming. When you know a storm is coming in your life, how well do you sleep the night before? Not very. But he got right on the boat and went right to sleep. These storms don't worry Jesus. They don't worry Jesus, and as we see that, why is that? Because Jesus has the power over the storms. He has the power over the storms. He's the only one that can say, peace, be still, and rebuke the wind, and it, it obeys. The next thing I wrote down is he wants us to trust him in the midst of the storm. He wants us to trust that that's the, tr the, the case. He wants us to be confident in the power that he is who he says he is, and he's going to do what he says he's going to do. And the last thing I saw, I wrote down here, the most obvious lesson, is he can save us from the storm. And I want to emphasize the word can and not will. Because he's not going to save us from every storm. He can, but not always will. And as we dive deeper into these obvious lessons, I started thinking about that. And the first not-so-obvious question that I asked myself was this. What if he hadn't have calmed the storm? What if he hadn't calmed the storm because he didn't have to jesus knew the plan jesus knew the plan that god had set out for him and you know what it wasn't it wasn't for him to die in the middle of a of a lake he knew there was a plan to die for men's sin and it wasn't going to happen in the middle of the lake because if it did we wouldn't be wearing crosses around our neck we'd have little jars of water you know, in all reality, he knew the plan. And he wasn't worried about what was going to happen. He also knew that the wind and the, the waves would obey. 
He knew this, so there was no cause for concern. So what if he hadn't have stopped the storm? What if he just let it ride out until they got to the other side? The end goal was still the same, was it not? Wasn't it just to get to the other side? I mean, what if, the second question, what if the storm was a, great, a part of a greater plan? What if that storm was to bring them to the other side? Because I'm not sure if you're aware of this. What happens when they get to the other side, you would immediately think the reason why they left was so Jesus could rest, so they all could rest. I think Jesus had a different plan. Because what happens when they get off the boat in Mark chapter 5, verse 1? Maybe you know it. They run into a man who's possessed by a legion of demons. And that man who'd been possessed by a legion of demons was left alone by everybody. He was living in a graveyard. He was so strong and so powerful that they couldn't bind him with chains that he was stuck out there all alone, running around naked. And unlike the storm where Jesus slept through it, this man Jesus pursued. This man Jesus pursued, you know, he wasn't saying at the beginning, hey, let's just go to the other side. I believe he was saying, let's go to the other side because he had a purpose. See, when Jesus came, he never came to save us from the storm. He came to save souls. And going through this storm was going to lead to the saving of a soul. As a matter of fact, it was going to lead to the saving of many souls. Because if you know anything about that, he goes to this man. He casts out the, the, the demons into a big old herd of pigs. Those herd of pigs run into the water. Another whole thing with that whole water and where the demons live, that kind of thing. And, and you see this take place. And the guy who is saved, that soul that is saved, says, Jesus, I want to come with you. And Jesus' response to that guy is, nope. What you need to do is you need to go back to the village and tell everybody what I have done for you. Because isn't the vision in all for people to be led into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, isn't the vision for all for us to glorify God in our lives, isn't that exactly what is taking place after this storm? Because his life was changed, he went and told others about it. See, he's not confronting the enemy in the storm as he does it. What it is, is the enemy lied on the other side of the storm, and that's what he pursued. That's what he went after. See, the storm isn't the point. The storm isn't the point. We go through storms. Storms threaten our faith. And I'm not just talking like a little flat tire or somebody says something mean to you at work, something like that. I'm talking about a storm that is paralyzing, one where you've lost control, one where there's an illness, one where there's a death, one where there's a marriage crumbling, one, you name it, you know the storm that I'm talking about. And as we look at those, there are these storms that cause us to question the goodness of God. God, how could you? Why would you? Each one of these things we look at, we, we, we pray for healing, we pray for reconciliation, we, we pray for anything that will make the storm go away. And I look at that and I say, in this story, the storm wasn't the point, though. Though the storm is very real and it's very terrifying and the disciples are right in the middle of it, the point isn't the storm and surviving it. The point is, is who's with us in the boat during the storm. That is the point. That is where we are at. And I'm not trying to, to lessen anybody's suffering. And I'm not trying to say that suffering isn't real and, and that Jesus can't calm the storm because absolutely he can. He did it in the story. But not always will he. What he does is he brings us through it. He never said, guys, let's get in the boat so we can go drown in the middle of the lake. He's going to be with us through it. He's going to glorify himself in it. And that is what it's about. And you know what? Storms are frightening. I know. 
There have been times in my life where you just cry out to God and say, God, I cannot survive this. I cannot make it through it. It is not possible. It is killing me on the inside. We are perishing. Don't you care? I've been there. My guess is you've been there. But see, I don't believe that Jesus takes us to the middle of the sea to, to, to drown. I believe he takes us there to use that as an opportunity to use us to reconcile this world to him. That people can see in our lives that it's different. And you know what the other cool thing is? Is that he's not standing on the boat or on, on the shore while all the disciples go out on the boat. He never once said, you guys go. By the way, if something happens, yell to me from over here. I'm going to stay here in safety. He got in the boat, and he went into that darkness. He went into that abyss. He went into that with the, the, the disciples. And he was with them through it all. And the whole thing is, is that we need to understand is that our job is to focus on him through it all. Our job is to focus on the other side through it all. Because it's so easy to get afraid and see all the things. But focus on him. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says, focus on the author and the perfecter of our faith. That is where our focus is. That's where we're running. That's where we're going. There's going to be storms along the way. That's going to be happening. See, the storm isn't where we face the enemy. The storm is where we meet God. The storm is where we grow closer to him. The storm is, is where when we are at the very bottom, you've probably heard this phrase before, when you hit rock bottom, there's only one place to look, and that's up. And the cool thing about hitting rock bottom is that Jesus' love, God's love, is even deeper. And it holds us, and it's there for us, and we look up to that. You know, and, and I can tell you there have been times in my life where I've cried out to God and said, God, where are you? And I can look back on those times and see that he glorified himself on the other side of that storm. I can tell you when I was nine years old, my parents got divorced. I can tell you vividly, I remember Christy always questions the things that I remember, but this one I remember vividly. And, and, and I remember being so angry when my parents got divorced and crying out to God saying, where are you, God? Who are you? You don't even really exist. You wouldn't let my parents get divorced and punching holes in walls as a nine-year-old. I remember doing that and being so angry and so upset that I had to go to anger management class as a nine-year-old and learn how to punch pillows instead of walls because it apparently doesn't hurt your hand as much. And, uh, and so I remember sitting there and going through all of that and saying, God, what are you doing? In the midst of that storm, I couldn't see where I was going. Yet on the other side of the storm, when, when God brought a man into my mom's life that had a father who drugged me to tr- church, he drugged me to church. I had a drug problem. I got drugged to church every Sunday. And, uh, and, and so I was in church and forced to go and forced to go. And then I met Jesus. And it wasn't a dragging thing anymore. And as I got dragged there and met him, I got baptized. My life began to change. I began to get involved in a youth group where I saw my eyes open up. To, there's this thing outside of school where you can meet normal people. And, and uh, well, let's not go too far with that. But, but uh, you know, there, there's that opportunity to, to grow in that area. And, and God had this plan that he was changing me and molding me and making me through a storm that I thought he wasn't even there. And I can go a little bit further down the road when I was 17 and my stepdad, that same man that was brought into my my mom's life, he was killed in an accident. And I had four younger brothers and sisters. And I remember crying out to God, God, where are you? What are you doing? Why are you doing this? My, my brothers and sisters, I'm getting ready to go off to college. They need somebody. My mom just went mental, and she's in an institution. And all this, how is this going to happen? Crying out to God. God, where are you? And yet that changed my path of what school I went to, and it changed the path of what career I took. And now he's glorifying himself even today through that career change. 
And then I can go back to the first time I had cancer. I can go back to the second time I had cancer. I, I got to thinking about this just, just the other day, that the, after the second time I had cancer, man, if you were here, you were a part of Cleveland, and you know that for eight weeks I was down and out, and I didn't want anything to do with anybody, and I just laid in bed. It affected me greatly, but I never thought about how much it affected my family. And I remember, this is actually, sorry. I remember we were at Ciela Azul at a VBS. And we were leading the VBS out there, and a team had come in. And one of the things was, you bring enough friends, we're going to turn Pastor Matt into a human Sunday. And they dumped chocolate syrup and ice cream and whipped cream and cherries and all kinds of stuff all over me. And I thought, oh, great. And Peyton and Maley and Camden left the room crying. I couldn't figure out why. And I went out there, and of course I'm covered in goo, so it wasn't a real serious conversation. But, but I, I was like, guys, what's wrong? And they said, well, we, we thought that it was going to bring the cancer back. And I thought, that, that's, a, that's a storm. And God, what are you doing? Yet there's been multiple opportunities since then where I've been able to sit down with people who are struggling with the same thing and say, God will bring you through. Whether you live through it or not is not the question. He will bring you through this storm. And in the midst of that, he will glorify himself. And it will affect other people. Because there are going to be people in your life, they're going to watch you go through that storm. And as you go through that storm, they're going to say, how are you dealing with this? How can you possibly have joy? How could you possibly say, I'm going to give thanks in all circumstances, like it says in 1 Thessalonians 5. Give thanks in all circumstances. You know, have joy in the midst of these problems. How can you? Because Jesus is with us. Not that he's going to carry us and save us from it, but he has saved us from the ultimate because there was an end goal in mind. And I look at that and I say, God, where are you? And he says, I'm right here. And I start to look at it and I say, you know, not only do I see myself in the story as a disciple, but sometimes I see myself as the end goal. Well, I've never been possessed by a demon. One of the things about that whole story with that, that man, he A, lived among the dead. He B, had a legion of demons inside of him. He was the ultimate outcast from Jewish law. But yet Jesus pursued him. And I think to myself that before Jesus entered into my life, I was full of sin and I was full of, of everything against God. But he pursued me, he came after me, and he saved me. And that changed everything about me. And it helps me realize that in the midst of the storm, he is molding me and he is making me. He's changing my attitude towards life. He's changing my attitude towards myself. Remember how we said up front, the whole idea of the vision is to move from glorifying myself to glorifying God. And he's going to use all means to make that happen. He's going to chisel away the junk through all means to make that happen. And I have to remember what Paul wrote in his second letter to that church at Corinth. In chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, he says this, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, and our inner self is being renewed day by day, See, when the disciples met Jesus, they saw all the things he had done. But this one time, all of a sudden, everything switched. He, they had to ask, who is this guy? Even after everything they've seen, they see him in a whole new light. Through our storms, we will see Jesus in a whole new light. Verse 17 says, for in light of this momentary affliction, it is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. We are pursuing after a vision. We are pursuing after what God wants for us in our lives. The thing is, there will be storms that come up in our way. There are going to be things that are going to come up, and they're going to say, look over here, look over here. Don't chase after that vision. Get off that blueprint. Go this way. My question for you today is this. Are you going to live 
in fear? Or are you going to live in faith? Are you going to, as we prayed last week to close up, are you going to pray for the passion to see the glory of God revealed? Or are you going to do not? Are you going to pray that he gives you the confidence in his power? Or are you not? Are we going to say the what ifs? Or are we going to back away? Are we going to let the storm detract us from what God has for us? Or are we going to know that Jesus is through it and he's going to bring us through it? Sometimes he's going to calm it and sometimes he's going to calm you. What's it going to be? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for who you are. And thank you for the way that you work, even though sometimes it's not our plan. Thank you for shaping us and molding us, even through the storms. God, the great thing about it all is that you were with us in the middle of those storms. You were with us in the middle of each and everything. You were in the boat. God, we know that it may seem like you're asleep, but God, you know. You're God. You know the storms. They don't worry you. They don't shake you. They don't take you off of what you're doing but they do to us. God, help us find confidence in you. Help us find confidence in your strength. Help us find confidence in your power. Help us to live with a passion for your glory that even the storms aren't going to knock us from that. That we can continue to go, continue to chase, continue to pursue that vision you've laid out there for us. God, we're so grateful for the opportunity to even be here this morning. I pray that you're speaking, and as you do, I pray you're changing our hearts and changing our minds. And using that for your glory and your honor, even outside of this room. Pray in your name. Amen. I'm going to jump down here in the front, and I would love to talk to you. If you're going through a storm, and you're just thinking, I don't know what else to do, let me just pray with you, and hopefully encourage you in that, that Jesus is with you. And maybe you're in the boat by yourself, because you've never met Jesus. You've never accepted him into your life. You've never made him the Lord of your life. And that's the first step. Let me talk to you about why it's so important to have Jesus in your boat. I'll be down here in the front as we sing this last song.